0: People ask God to put things back like they used to be. Lord, give me back my normal, return things to how they used to be. While God restored me with his presence and patience, safety and provision, one of the beautiful things I discovered is that God doesn't restore to the way it was prior to the intrusion or the interruption, the devastation or the trauma. He didn't restore me to who I was before the devastating event. When we invite God to restore us, to heal us, he builds new things. He uses his value system and he moves us a little closer to the original way that he created us when he knit us together in our own mother's womb. A time before we were born into sin and only knew how to chase the desire of the flesh and self before the inception of this world's value system. Through this pain, I became even more aware that as believers in Christ, we have this amazing opportunity of discovering who God created us to be when he knit us together in his image. There are things about us that we have yet to discover and that we will not discover until we lean in close to his heart and ask him. He's placed talents in us that we do not make any connection with because we've never been introduced to the intimacy with which he created us. If you have yet to discover the calling on your life or your purpose, your gifts, your talents, I would like to suggest that you start in the place that you feel the most defeated and unqualified. And that may sound strange to you, but I can almost bet you that Satan has tried to kill it before you ever discovered it. Thank you for stopping by my podcast, Finding God in Our Pain. Welcome. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Pilkington. In this podcast, you'll hear firsthand stories of how the God of the Holy Bible meets real people in their real pain. We look at the good God we profess through the lens of pain and suffering. I'm processing the most painful season of my life after unexpectedly losing Larry, my husband of 32 years. In my journey, I've discovered that there are many types of deaths. Maybe you've asked God. How could you let this happen? Why me? Where are you, God? Do you even care? What am I supposed to do with my life now? Here at Finding God in Our Pain, we don't shy away from the tough questions. I ask them to my guests. I share what I've experienced. We give real examples of how God shows up in the darkest, most painful situations in life. May the stories that you hear and the advice you receive encourage you to engage the heart of God about your painful places or memories or experiences or even your unmet expectations. Lean in close to God's heart because he speaks beautiful things in the dark. This podcast episode is connected to the episode that I did a few weeks ago entitled The Good God We Profess and the Reality of Pain and Suffering. In that episode, I made mention how scripture came alive to me, how it proved God true. And one of the scriptures I referenced as helping me through the darkest valley that I've known to date and that being unexpectedly losing my husband of 32 years, was Psalm 23. So as a follow-up, this episode will be about real examples of how I found different layers of meaning in God's word and how in this very dark valley I discovered an intimacy with Christ that I didn't even know I was missing. So I'll read Psalm 23 in its entirety, and then I'll break it down and tell you how this Bible verse spoke to me, how God fulfilled his word in my life, and how that black ink on crinkly pages, the Holy Bible, came alive to me. Scripture became a real lifeline for me. And keep in mind, I'm sharing my personal experience with the God of the Holy Bible, whom I identify as the Father, God, Jesus Christ, His Son, and Holy Spirit. I see them as three distinct personalities, but they move as one. So a lot of times you'll hear me interchange uh, their titles, God, Father, Jesus, Christ, and Holy Spirit. We can always count on God's word to be consistent with His character and His nature, anything that is true is of God, will not contradict who he is. But one of the things I want to point out here is that we can't put him in a box with regard to how he will show up for someone or how he will reveal himself or speak to that person. We are unique individuals. And because he knows us intimately, he knows how to speak and connect his truths with the spiritual language that he gave us. And again, not something that's outside of what the Bible has been preaching, teaching, tested, tried for over 2000 years, but I'm making reference to a deeper revelation of who he is an intimacy that you have not known before. So here's Psalm 23 in the KJV, which is King James Version, but I encourage you to look up this verse in the different versions so that you can see the depths of the word. When I say depth, of the word our american language is so layered that we can go deeper in understanding what someone is trying to say when we look at the context with which they use the word so think about how we use the word love or even friendship love can be anywhere from intimate personal marital to a strong desire for specific food i love pizza um friendship has layers from inner circle to social media where the connections are only on social media. And it's the same with God's word. As you study the word, you peel layers away and you receive deeper revelation. So just like you would as you grow in any other type of relationship. So the more you invest, the stronger it grows, the deeper the connection, which gives us things such as a better understanding, clarity about value systems. Um, It drives things like future plans and direction for our lives, and and so much more. Psalm 23, it, it consists of six verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy. And I love to say, surely your goodness and your mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If I could encourage you to memorize those six, verses to heart and speak them over your life because they are such incredible encouragement and it solidifies the foundation, that rock under your feet. So here are some examples of how God's word came alive and active in my life. Verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want the work of a shepherd is to care for his sheep and they're valuable and precious to the shepherd. Without him, the sheep would be vulnerable to predators or illness unlivable conditions. They they might stay up in the hill country too long and then the snow comes upon them. When in relationship and that of shepherd and sheep, the sheep look to their shepherd for protection and provision, leadership and care. Christ is the good shepherd and we are his sheep. And the word says that his sheep know his voice, that he will never leave them and that he cares for them. He has the power and the authority, two different things, to take what evil meant to destroy us with and turn it to good for us. That's his specialty. In the first year after Larry passed, I can honestly say I I don't remember much about that year, if anything at all. And I have family and friends say to me, remember this, remember when I said that or did this, and I either have to say, I remember something about that, or I'm sorry, I don't remember it at all. But what I do remember is that every need that arose, God took care of it. And there were two significant instances in the very beginning that God immediately had a solution for things that he had already put in place. So that on that day of the need, the provision was provided. Both instances that were profound to me had to do with me being able to stay in my home and continue living as I had been while Larry was alive. And so here's one of the examples of how God already prepared things for me in the future. And he's doing the same thing for you right now. Things you don't even know to ask for because you don't know the need is coming. I live on three acres and the property sits a little off the road. It's open with a wall of trees, this hedge of 60, 80, 100 feet. I guess I'm not a, a good judge, but they're massive. They're at least two, two and a half you know, the height of my single story home. So there's a lot of maintenance to the upkeep of this property, all of which Larry used to take care of. All the stuff needs chemicals and weed eating and grass cutting and critter control, cleaning. In short, when faced with all these responsibilities that Larry used to take care of, I was overwhelmed. I didn't even know where to start. I didn't know anything about chemical for the pool. I didn't know how the pump ran or chemical for the pond the color ratio of the dye for the pond. Heck, I didn't even know how to gauge how many gallons were in the pool or the pond. And who knew that the sand on the pond, like my husband had created this beach on the pond so that you could get an easy access in and out of this huge pond. Cause there's a a two-story platform, there's a zip line. And at one point he had a two-story slip and slide. So anyway, my point being, All of this stuff had to be maintained, miles of weed eating, flower beds. And ask anyone who knows me, I will kill a cactus, not intentionally, but nonetheless, I kill cactuses. So the general upkeep, just so things don't fall apart or rot or stop working, was outside of my skill set to say the least. I can hammer a nail, but not without a bruise or two. And that's not exclusive to my hands. I think you get the picture. I was talking with the Lord. And I said, Lord, if you want me to stay here, please give me the ability to stay. Bring me someone who can take care of these things. I don't have the mind because I can't focus on anything. I'm not retaining anything. I don't have the will. I don't have the desire. I just want to stay here in the bed and never get up. He brought a person's name to mind. Friends that had sold their cake business, sold their house and moved into their tiny house, their little dream house on a piece of property. And here's the backstory to this. Two, maybe three years prior to Larry's passing, I had supported their family-owned business. We have a family-owned business, so I have a soft spot in my heart for family-owned businesses. They had moved from a bricks and mortar shop at the oceanfront and converted their two-car garage into a full-on bakery. They had done a little fundraiser for the conversion. I had pitched a little in the pot, and they were who I used for all of my cakes and cupcakes. It was quite often that I'd call Jennifer at the last minute and say I need a cake or I need a dozen cupcakes and she'd say come on over I'll put some icing on them and have them ready for you and I was always surprising her with a last minute order but she was always ready so approximately 18 months before Larry passed and whenever I went to their house for some baked goods they would show me a tiny house they were building in the backyard and they were so excited to be selling the business selling the house and moving into their little dream house, their tiny house. When God brought them uh, to my mind, I had totally forgotten about them. The business and the house had been sold and their plans were to move the tiny house on a friend's property, not too far from me, out here in this rural part of Virginia Beach. So the last I heard, they were moving their tiny house to that friend's piece of property. Even though it didn't make sense for me to call them or to think that they would want to move from one property to another, I decided to be obedient and reach out. And I texted Jennifer and I asked her, hey, you love your new house on the property? And she said, well, that fell through. Our friend decided to sell the property. We're actually here at the oceanfront in a campground until we can find a different option. So I pitched the idea of them moving the tiny house out to my property in exchange for maintenance, general upkeep, grass cutting, weed eating, flower beds, pond pool, Etc., etc. The next day they came out and they looked to see if it was possible. We found a spot for them to put the house, and within a couple of days they arrived. That is just one of the examples of God providing the connection and provision before we need it. He goes before us, He makes a way, He meets the need. Verse two, he maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. God often gives us a physical description so that we can make a connection with what he is offering us. Green pastures and still waters. What do you think of? I think about lush green grass, vibrant color, calm, moving water. Maybe I can hear it gently running over the rocks. To me, it's a place of rest. It says safe, It has a carefree vibe about it. I can relax because my shepherd is watching over me. We're familiar with this description. It enables us to connect with what God is offering us, which is who he is and wants to be for us. So in other words, God often speaks to us in a worldly language in order to reveal the spiritual value and his nature. When life has been completely flipped upside down, or we come to a place of unfulfilled expectations, because reality is that job that we had to have can turn out to be the worst nightmare with the worst boss. And the new house you're so excited to move in can have a neighbor that is completely unmanageable. Our financial peace can be gone in the blink of an eye. Illness can sideline us for months at a time and jeopardize our job, our house, or an accident can take a measure of our independence or physical abilities. And then there's people. They can be cruel. They can betray you. They leave. Sometimes things don't turn out like we hoped they would, like we expected them to. And when that happens, what do we do? Where do we turn? Our bodies, being that of flesh and bone, may have somewhere to rest. You can put, you can lay on a sofa or a bed or the floor. But where do you rest your devastated heart and quiet your mind, that bombarding of questions, the chaos it creates, the free fall that you feel like you're in, not to mention trying to figure out the identity crisis that it causes. For me, it was going from wife to widow. Without my familiar title of wife, who am I now? What does my future look like? Do I even have a future? So where did I go? I have direct access to that lush green pasture with the calm living water, this safe haven, because it's actually God's presence, his nature, the beauty of who he is. It's the place where my soul found rest and renewal. He promises to never leave us. We have access to him every millisecond of every breath. God's spiritual nature transcends our natural world. I could be in the dirt floor of a prison cell in a third world country, something that is the farthest thing from anything comforting. And I can still experience the calming presence of God. That peace that transcends understanding is accessible to me anywhere at any time. So when I was in the midst of the farthest thing from familiar or comforting, grieving the sudden unexpected, came out of nowhere, death of my husband. I collapsed into the safety of who God is. And I say safety of who he is because there is such a vulnerability that is attached to deep loss. And allow me to make this point again, not just the death of a loved one. There are many different deaths in life. And again, the loss of a job, finances, home, marriage, friendship, independence, physical ability, whatever devastates your heart, your peace. The loss of peace can be devastating. My main vulnerability was the fact that the good God I professed did not intervene to stop the death of my husband. And now I felt very vulnerable. Everything felt like it was up for grabs. My children, my grandchildren, my future, Would God intervene the next time I needed him? I wondered how I would ever trust him again. So in this pasture of safety, I talked to him about this. And sometimes it wasn't so nice. I wasn't thinking about being godly or mannerly or Christian-like. My pain was raw and at times full force. And yet he never rejected me. He never turned his back on me. He never shamed me. It's as if he absorbed my pain. He wasn't put off by my pain. It didn't offend him. He responded to it. He spoke the beauty of his truth in such a tender way that he was able to penetrate the lies that I was entertaining. And he was able to reach my pain, not in the way that I wanted him to, which was to bring my husband back, but rather when I took my pain and questions to him, when I put all my cards on the table, you're not hiding anything from him anyway, and I laid it all out there, He gently exposed my fears. And when my fears had to face the God that I professed, when I held these fears up against who he is and what he has to say about what I believed, I could discern that it was a lie of the enemy. The conclusions that I had come to based on my pain and grief were not true. It may have been my reality, but it was not the truth. And sort of like a plane ride, and it's gray and raining thunder and lightning but you fly up a little higher through the clouds and the sun is shining brightly the truth was that the sun was shining brightly we're subject to our reality but that doesn't mean it's the truth so pain clouded my understanding when i allowed god to speak into what i believed the lies couldn't stand against the god i profess wrestling with god Taught me that he's a safe place to process my pain. And here are three things that God taught me as I gave him my authentic struggle, asking my honest questions and allowed him the opportunity to speak into my pain. And I won't go into detail here in this episode. I can do a separate one so that I can elaborate on each one. But when processing your pain with God, remember these three things one, talk to him, not at him. Two, talk with him, not about him. And three, take the time to listen. Let's move to verse three. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. I've heard people ask God to put things back like they used to be. Lord, give me back my normal, return things to how they used to be. While God restored me with his presence and patience, safety and provision. One of the beautiful things I discovered is that God doesn't restore to the way it was prior to the intrusion or the interruption, the devastation or the trauma. He didn't restore me to who I was before the devastating event. When we invite God to restore us, to heal us, he builds new things. He uses his value system and he moves us a little closer to the original way that he created us when he knit us together in our own mother's womb. A time before we were born into sin and only knew how to chase the desire of the flesh and self before the inception of this world's value system. Through this pain, I became even more aware. That as believers in Christ, we have this amazing opportunity of discovering who God created us to be when He knit us together in His image. There are things about us that we have yet to discover and that we will not discover until we lean in close to His heart and ask Him. He's placed talents in us that we do not make any connection with because we've never been introduced to the intimacy with which He created us. If you have yet to discover the calling, on your life or your purpose, your gifts, your talents, I would like to suggest that you start in the place that you feel the most defeated and unqualified. And that may sound strange to you, but I can almost bet you that Satan has tried to kill it before you ever discovered it. When we look at the latter part of verse three, the paths of righteousness for his namesake, if my shepherd Christ hadn't kept me on his path of righteousness, I would have wandered endlessly down many paths of uncertainty, searching for answers in all the wrong places. And one of the things that I remember about God keeping me on the right path, I was crying out to him. I had asked him to tell me why. It didn't make any sense. And he spoke into my spirit and he said, Sherry, some things simply belong to me. And at that moment, it calmed me. And I began to ponder what he meant by that, because an all-knowing, all-present God has the answer to my question. Why wouldn't he give it to me? He'd been answering me on other things. Why not now? Why just tell me that it belongs to him? And I came to the realization of several things about his sovereignty and trusting him and having faith in him. But the beauty of that moment, which really showed me the depth of his tenderness and care for me, is that in his asking me to trust him, he was also not giving me another path to run down. Because what I really wanted in my why, in this particular why, was I wanted him to bring Larry back. Larry wasn't coming back. So any answer that he gave me would just be the next target that I ran after and that I focused on and that I argued with him about. Rather than give me another trail to run down in my pain and anguish, he just sat with me in that tension of my pain And he let me struggle with him. He asked me to trust him, to let him love on to me. That was that's the beauty of a loving and kind father. Is to not send me on another rabbit trail, but to sit in the tension of my pain with me, meet me there and be present in it. Also, something else I think of, I was talking with a friend who was struggling in her faith. And and she said, the only thing I know for sure is Christ crucified. And I told her, that's a great place to return to and start from. That's all you need to know. She was teetering between walking away and staying. And when she expressed her thoughts, I asked her, but where will you go for truth? No one else holds the words of truth. At that time, I too was struggling to make sense of the good God I professed in the context of pain and suffering. I knew. I was at risk in this predicament, but as God spoke his word to me and fulfilled promise after promise, the beauty of who he is overwhelmed my fears and dismantled my arguments. No one loves me like Jesus does. This path of righteousness, it's not about my righteousness. It's about his, it's his nature to tend to his sheep, his character, that guarantees we're cared for. He can't not care for us and with excellence. And I've said this before, people try to help us. They want to help us. Heck, I want to help people, but we're prone to our own lack of faith and faulty beliefs that are clouded by our experiences and um, assumptions that we've come to. Just the other day, I had to apologize to a friend. She shared something with me that she was struggling with. And my comment came across as downplaying her concerns and she didn't let me get away with it. My thought was that she was being too hard on herself. So my intention was to soften her belief with an encouraging comment. For her, it didn't fly. She wanted to be heard, And so I apologized and she was super sweet about it. And we returned to the conversation. But we fall short. When trying to calm the pain of our loved ones. Only God sees where the pain resides, which I believe can be traced down to a fear or fears. And we can't quiet someone else's fears because we're not the origin of what overcomes fear. The best we can do is point them to the one who does overwhelm fears with his truth. The God of the Holy Bible is the fountainhead of truth and the origin of love. Only his answers, his presence will calm and quiet the chaos of our minds and the tormenting pain in our heart or the uncertainty that is in your face. His presence, his truths, his love, they kept me on his path of righteousness for his namesake, meaning how would it look to a watching world if my shepherd did not take care of me? The path of righteousness is his very nature, his character. It's a path of truth and love, comfort, rest, safety, intimacy, revelation, and in a short, It's a path where I am walking and talking and resting and eating in the beauty of his presence so that when people look at me, they don't see someone stuck in their pain or stalled out and unable to move beyond the traumas of this life. As I mentioned, when we let God restore us, he restores us using his value system. And we get to choose whether or not we'll agree with him, whether we'll participate in him There's healing and redemption for our pain. There's a new chapter that he's writing that's worth living and exploring with Christ. Verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. One of the most powerful things that I still hold on to today that I gained while going through the more intense part of my grieving is that God's presence is everything. And I do mean everything without exception, everything. It's the only thing I asked for now. It's the only thing that made a difference in my pain, knowing that I was not alone in my suffering, that his promises of never leaving me were true. I lost Larry in early 2018. And so when the virus hit, I had no worry about it at all. God had faithfully been with me through the darkest valley of my life, and he would see me through COVID as well. I just didn't have any fear about that because of the way he had shown himself faithful. We're all leaving here on some sort of vehicle, a heart attack, cancer, a car crash. If COVID was mine, what was I to argue about? And if it wasn't mine, and if I got COVID, God would see me through. Either way, I would not be alone. And the one who was with me holds all things in the palm of his hand. Either he saw me through here or he saw me face to face. A win-win, really. If all else falls away in my life, and I pray that it never does, all I need to know is that God is with me and he's going to attend to me as I travel the valley with him leading me through. And I've shared this before. When I hear God speak, I don't hear audible words. The best way I know how to describe it is that I get a download in my spirit. The full comment is known to me as if it were audible, but I don't hear it or receive it through my ears, but rather it's in my heart, which I equate to my spirit. As the Lord was responding to my pain and my questions, here's what really solidified the power of God's presence for me when I was when I realized that no matter how much people tried to help me, and don't get me wrong, Let people know you care. If you worry about what to say or saying the wrong thing, focus on meeting their need at the moment. Don't do like I did with my friend, the example I just gave you and downplay their pain, but don't act like you share in it either. I don't care what the person is grieving over. We are unique individuals and all process our loss differently. And also keep in mind your level of friendship. Is it a close-knit family? Are you a family member? Are you an inner circle friend, an outer circle friend? And that should guide your response. Also keep this in mind. I heard a quote by, I believe it was Pastor Rick Warren, and I don't think I'm going to get it right verbatim, but he said something to the effect, the deeper the wound, the fewer the words. And it's true. If you have a deep sentiment to share, here's a thought. Maybe wait until the dust has settled, and remember them when everybody else has gone back to their normal lives, and they're still dealing with their loss. Send them a kind word, and it will go a very long way in the initial days of the fallout, It's difficult for for people to remember who was at the funeral or who came to the house or what people said or who gave what their mind is numb. My mind was numb. and you're just going through the checklist of what you're supposed to be doing in this situation. But it's when, Things get so quiet that it's deafening. And that's what I would say about my house because my husband filled any room that he entered and he certainly filled our house and we laughed so much. But I would say that's so quiet that it's deafening. And that's when a kind word or a kind gesture is a sliver of gold for the heart. Okay, I digress. Let me get back on track. The power of God's presence was solidified for me when I realized that all of the kind, sweet, precious things that people sent, gave, delivered, none of them could reach my pain. It helped to know that people cared that Larry meant something to somebody, but it did nothing to ease my pain. It was a journey that I would have to take on my own. And when I pressed into God and gave a focus to his presence, I found him more than willing to enter into my pain, I found him there already. And I discovered that he was fully capable of carrying the burden of this conversation, of my searching, of my desire to have answers. He was completely capable. The things he said and did showed me his depth of care and the fact that he knew the way through this valley. He knew the way out. He'd been there before in his own valley of death when he faced Satan. When Christ hung on the cross and was crucified for us, the father turned his back on his son until his wrath was satisfied. And here we are today, Christ has risen. Death is still on its face at the feet of Jesus Christ. He's been leading us through this familiar territory, these valleys of death into green pastures for over 2,000 plus years. He knows the way through that dark valley. He knows how to find those green pastures again. I also found that this valley of death is not only where my own pain and suffering could have taken me out or caused me to give up or stay lost in my pain or be known from a pain. Oh, there's Sherry. She's still grieving. She's such a sad widow. There is another predator here in this valley and that's Satan and his cronies. And he was always lurking. Trying to get me to define God, define his love, define his care by using my pain, this reality of my pain. He wanted me to use it to define who God was. My honest question to God about how will I ever trust you again? was one Satan loved to dig at me over and over again with. And once that was settled, once God had answered that question, Satan moved on to another pain point and began using that against me as well. This particular tactic of Satan trying to get me to define God by my painful questions became obvious to me. So I caught on to that one, but then he would just move on to a different tactic. When God answered my question about me ever trusting him again, when he spoke into my spirit, he said, Sherry, I don't care what this world tries to put on you or label you with, burden you with. You keep your eyes on me. I'm writing a much bigger love story with you as the individual I created you to be. If I hadn't shifted my focus to Christ, held my pain up to him and sought his word and his heart for what he had to say, I surely would have been an easy target for Satan. If Satan could have put a wedge between God and I, It would have been an effective tactic in separating me from the truth and therefore separating me from my healing and restoration. My my grief journey was such fertile ground for Satan because my questions for God introduced a struggle every single time about who I would believe. Where is the truth? What is the lie? In hindsight, I, I see it as a battle for my heart. But then again, Isn't that the trophy in every situation, the passions, devotions, and desires of the heart? Because whatever you set your heart on will determine everything about your life right down to where you will spend eternity. As for the rod and the staff in this verse, I'd like to backtrack a little and refer to how we can't reach someone else's pain. Here's another reason why we can't. The fears of this life will not be crushed until the influence of our predator, Satan is crushed. God's rod keeps our enemies at bay and his staff points the way through the dark valley down the righteous path. That is the purpose of a rod and a staff, safety and protection. Verse five, and then we'll wrap up with verse six. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Every part of Psalm 23 is salve to my heart and a beautiful fragrance in my life because they build upon each other to bring us to verse five and six. Verse five is where I pour out my gratitude to the one who saves, where I offer my thanksgiving to the one who is in complete control. It's where I set my affections on the most tender of fathers, God. The table that God prepared for me in the presence of my enemies had a lot more to do with feeding me his truths, his word, his presence, his wisdom, knowledge, discernment in the midst of my enemy positioning himself to steal truth from me and to kill and destroy me. Whenever the enemy was attacking, God was present with that rod and that staff protecting and showing me the way, go here, straight ahead, turn this way. In my personal experience, I didn't have people who had anything against me. My enemy was our enemy, Satan, and he was surely at work. He was working overtime. Being fed at God's table, fed with his spiritual riches and the beauty of his patience and his presence and from God's vantage point, while you watch Satan eat crow, meaning Satan is put in his place, that's a victory that has an immediate payoff with regard to the truth setting me free. But don't forget about the eternal value as well. In this place of being anointed and having a cup that overrunneth, has been the place of restoration. When I was overwhelmed with my future, like what was it supposed to look like now that Larry was gone? I questioned what widow meant. Aside from it meaning I didn't have a husband, I had no clue how to give that title or that role any shape. I was forced to leave the title and role I was familiar with, that of wife, to one that I had no clue what it meant. Even today, I still don't make any connection with it. I'm not single, but I'm not married. I'm widowed. It's a weird place to be. The scorn of widow has to do with no job, no money, no home, no family. Typically, all of these things would shift and be removed from a woman when her husband died, especially if she didn't have a son she'd have to fend for herself. But that has not been my experience. I'm blessed to live in a different era for one thing. And I was further blessed by a hardworking husband who valued family. His hard work still pays off in my life today. My sons make sure all is as if their father was still here. This is an extravagant luxury that I equate to that table that God prepares for me, that quality of oil that he causes, that he uses to anoint my head with and how he causes my cup. To overflow. On to our final verse, verse six. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is not saying that everything will be wonderful and painless for the rest of my days. Experiencing peace doesn't mean you have no problems. Peace is the presence of God. So this is saying that the goodness of God and his mercy will be with me and I will dwell in his presence via the Holy Spirit here and then face to face when in heaven. When we dwell in communion with Christ, we reap things like peace, comfort, joy, and confidence. All of these value systems, all of these things that you find in God's value system and who Christ is. We take our focus off of ourselves or our problems and our pains and we shift them, shift our focus to the one, Jesus Christ, who with his wisdom, power, authority, makes all The difference changes everything, changes atmospheres, changes circumstances, changes people's hearts. It gives, it's God's presence and his goodness and mercy that give us that slice of heaven, just a small taste of the Garden of Eden on this side of eternity. In the here and now, when we place our pain in God's hands, redemption is guaranteed. In this life, Christ is the only option for us to see anything good come out of the pain and suffering that we are familiar with. He is fully capable of turning what our enemy meant for good into something we can't imagine to think or ask for. It's beyond our dull imagination and I say dull because it's nothing compared to God's creativity. When I share my story about What Christ has done for me through this journey, whether I'm speaking to people or doing a podcast or blogging about it, I'm taking part in my redemption story. When we've been through a tragedy and we turn around and extend a helping hand to another person who is entering or either entering into that same journey or someone who is stuck there, that's a lifeline to another precious heart. When you let God see you through something that's changed you, you know things about him that you wouldn't have known in any other circumstance. If you're like me, you wouldn't have chosen to go through what you did, but that newfound intimacy with Christ, his truth and therefore freedom and his extravagant love. It's a, it's a payoff that transcends anything that is in, of, or about this world. My prayer for you today is that you, is that you let God love on you. You let God lead you through your valley let the good shepherd guide you from devastation into healing there is hope there is redemption and he and there is a new chapter that awaits your participation and he's writing a new chapter that awaits your participation remember god speaks the most beautiful things in the dark now live loved and thrive